You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for this teaching series on Leviticus, A Call to Priesthood. Here we go, Leviticus. The book of the Bible single-handedly most responsible for curing insomnia. All right? Leviticus, also known as Leviticus PM. It should have its own prescription Its strength for sleep aid is so strong, Leviticus. I hope that we have shed a little bit of light onto what Leviticus is and how it works together and why it is what it is. But I want to go back and review quickly uh, the diagram we showed in the very first week. Um, So let's throw that up. One, One of the things that we talked about was... Leviticus is structured, it's in, it's in this chiastic structure, which means that the ends mirror each other, and then there's mirror, and it works towards the center, and it's in the center that we have the point. And so we have this first one, chapters one through seven is about atonement, navigating atonement, um, because one of our primary roles as priests is to let the world know that God is okay with them. And so that's one of the roles that we fill. And then we have this whole um, middle section on the priesthood, uh, 8 through 10, 21 to 22, and then 23 through 24 is about how to celebrate. Why? Because God loves a good party. He does. And we Christians have a tendency to be wound a little tight. So Leviticus reminds us that maybe we could loosen our halo just a stitch. It would be helpful. And then... We close the book with what happens if those who are supposed to be taking care of the oppressed, what if they're not doing their job? What if they're the ones doing the oppressing? And so we talk about this whole section about justice for the oppressed. Well, right in the middle of the book is this middle section that we're going to cover today. Chapters 11 through 20, how to live as a priest. And it's hard because we're going to try to cover 10 chapters today. So we're not going to do this really well. I'm just going to throw this out. We're, we're going to stay very at a philosophical level and try to help you understand structurally what's going on with it. I'm trusting that you'll go in and read it as you see fit, okay? But we're going to try to tackle this priesthood thing. Now, this middle section, chapters 11 to 20, is structured specifically uh, in a way that we need to grab a hold of. Chapters 11 through 15 are a personal holiness code, It's the kosher dietary laws and the don't cut the sides of your hair. And this is how you should live. This is your personal guide to holiness. Okay? Now, that being said, we've said a lot in our church about, listen, it's not about the moral code. It's not about keeping the rules. It's not not about that. We don't earn God's approval because we keep the rules. However, can we just be honest and, and come to terms with the fact that Even though that's true, and God's grace is bigger than any of our sins, would you agree with that? There is a point where we are called to live holy. And what I hear so many Christians say, I had actually an Orthodox Jew that pointed this out to me. They said, you Christians talk so much about having faith in Christ, but you don't talk near enough about the faith of Christ. What he meant by that was, you talk about believing in Jesus like that's your salvation and that's all you need, but none of you really spend very much time talking about living like Jesus lived. And that's a piece of the conversation that you and I have to have. And so that's 11 through 15. 
It's there and it's important. And when it comes to personal holiness, we should have disciplined conviction about that. Now, chapter 16, center of the book of Leviticus, the point. It's all about atonement. Paul's been alluding to that over the last couple of weeks. We'll come back and touch it later. Um, Chapter 17 through 20 is about community holiness. So we have a section on personal holiness, and then it ought to translate into how you live in the community this way. Okay? And that's really important because what happens a lot of times is people who are serious about their personal holiness are very rigid and rule legalism, and they treat other people that way. What's interesting is that what we find in the book of Leviticus is, as far as personal holiness is concerned, we should be disciplined in our conviction. However, in our community holiness, we should be incredibly liberal with grace. And we're going to see that again and again and again. It's like on one side of the coin, we have truth. We should live in truth, right? We should. We should live the truth. But on the other side of the coin is grace. And we should live in grace. And what, how do we marry those two? This is the tension that we're going to walk in today. Okay, And what I want to do is begin by painting this picture of what God's call is to us at the beginning of this section, and then we're going to work through kind of some of the end of this section, and we'll see what happens. How does it translate? So let's start with Leviticus 11. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. So good news, you don't have to play with bugs. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Why are we holy? Because he's holy. And as we move in the world, we are putting God on display by the very way that we conduct ourselves. You with me? So this is important. We must live holy. Now, Uh, Let's read on. This is the law about uh, beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Why do we have this distinction between holy and unholy? So that we can help people see what's clean and what's not clean. Make sense? So that we, by the way that we conduct ourselves, can help people see when our God says something is good or it's not good, what he's talking about. We live out those principles. Personal holiness, we should have disciplined conviction. This is the tension. We don't live it out perfectly. Anybody in here that's like, I live out holiness perfectly. Never in my life have I ever done anything except that which is of the will of the Lord, especially in the department of humility. I am terribly humble. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Right? Like we all kind of, I want to I walk in this tension a little bit and I want to show you what Jesus is up to. And, and this is part of these, these guys who were raised in this environment of personal holiness and this emphasis on personal holiness. They talk a lot about Jesus and why he was different. And this is going to be out of the book of John chapter one, talking about Jesus. Now watch this. The word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of what? And truth. He's full of grace, and we love that, but he's also full of truth, and that matters because the truth gives us the boundaries through which we understand disciplined conviction. Are you with me? All right, let's read on. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was his, he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From his, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Would you agree with that? Jesus, this man who lived a perfect, sinless human life, gave you grace upon grace. That's what our God's like, who lived a perfect, sinless human life, but gave us grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What we have to see is we need both grace and truth. It's not an either or, this is a both and. In personal matters, we live disciplined conviction, truth. But in community issues, we live liberal grace. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you and me. Grace upon grace. Now, Let's talk about these two pillars, grace and truth. I want to talk about this, and we're going to use some big churchy words today that we're going to try to explain. One is sanctification, and the other is justification. Both of these are important for you and I as followers of Jesus. So let's look at John 17. This is Jesus' prayer right before he's arrested and crucified. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So where do we find our truth? God's word. So why do we need to spend time in the word? It helps us understand what truth is. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself. Why did Jesus make himself holy? For our sake. So that we could see a living example of the truth. Make sense? Then he says, that they may also be sanctified in truth. So let's talk about this word sanctified. The word sanctified simply means this. It means set apart. It's another word for holiness. Remember, God says, be holy as I am holy. Be set apart. Be set apart. How do we learn how to be set apart? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. With me? So why do we need to read the word? So that we can live up to the standard that God asked for us personally. Here's the problem. We all got this thing in us called rebellion. I don't like it, right? I don't like rebellion, but it's in me. And sometimes I want to do it my way. Sometimes. Now let me just say this for your children in the room. All of you have the opportunity to believe that your way is better than the way of your parents. I'll just throw this out. You are wrong. 
Sanctify them by the truth, Father. Your word is truth. <laughs> and all the parents are like, thank you. All right. Now, here's the problem. Romans 3 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace. The word justified means declared righteous. See, we're told what, what it looks like to be set apart through his word, but the problem is we won't live it up. So the thing that makes us righteous isn't our full ability to keep it. It's because God closes the gap for us. Where we can't, God will. And that matters. Now, that's not a license then for us to go, well, then it doesn't, I can do whatever I want because it's all under the grace of God. It doesn't matter. No, because we're called to disciplined conviction. Because in so doing, we put our God on display to the world in a certain way. And when you call yourself a Christian, but live like the devil, God has to intervene. Not because he wants you to pay for what you did wrong, but because you're telling the wrong story about who your God is. And the world needs to know that your God is good. And so he has to intervene. He has to. So that your life gets back on track and you tell a good story again. It's not about I walked off the path and so God wants to spank me. It's about I walked off the path and so God says, stop it, get back on the path. All right, I'm back on the path. All right, let's go. But did you know, did you, and this is what we do, but God, did you know how far off the path I walked? He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember that. It's the path, let's walk. But do you remember? He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Why do you get so shook about what you did last week? Walk the path. That's what grace is for. That's what grace is for. So that we don't have to get beat up by the fact that we won't live perfectly. That doesn't give us any reason to not try though. Are you with me? And that it matters. 11 through 15 is all about personal holiness, disciplined conviction. But 15 through, or 17 through 20 is about this reality that as a community, we gotta be pulling for people, not pointing out every place that they mess up. That is not how God's people do business because that's not how God does business. God is in the business of pulling for you, not against you. We're justified. Justified means that you're declared righteous. That means that God closes the gap for you because of his grace. So the moral code doesn't matter in the sense that you earn God's approval, but it matters in the sense that we're telling people a particular story of who our God is. Make sense? So when you call yourself a Christian, but you're a jerk, that's not what your God's like. Like, I don't think that your God would get fired up at the grocery store clerk because she made a mistake. I don't think that your God would get upset at your waiter or waitress because they got your order wrong. I don't think that God would care. And so maybe we shouldn't. And guess what? If you're, let me say this. If your waiter or waitress sucks, Tip them 30%, because that's what God would do. 
And if they see you pray, you better tip them 30%. (laughs) It would be better for you to not pray before your meal than it would be to not tip them. Because that's the reputation that Christians get, and waiters and waitresses hate working on Sunday afternoon when church people go out to eat. That's not our God. Our God's generous, disciplined conviction. My generosity is not dependent on your ability to meet my needs. It's dependent on who my God is. Make sense? I do it because of who he is, not because you did a good job. And, our, and this, this mm, makes me mad. This is what we do. Well, I just need to teach them the bad service. No, you don't. That is not your job. Generous, liberal grace in community. That is who we are. Disciplined conviction personally, liberal grace in community. That's who we are. Doesn't mean we compromise our convictions. Like, do they need to give good service? Yeah, they do. And if you get a good God-centered opportunity to talk about it, maybe that's it. Maybe that's one thing, but doggone it. Represent your God before you represent your own opinion. I'm wore out. All right, so now we got to go to Leviticus 19. And I want to work through some of this with this in mind, like grace and truth and this tension of truth in my own life, grace and community. Truth in my own life, grace and community. This is where we have to be again and again and again, okay? So I want to jump to Leviticus 19 and, and read some of this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Sound familiar? And here's what it looks like. Here's the deal. Nobody, most of what holiness is, you'll never know if I'm holy or not. Except for when it comes to how I treat other people. Like how I treat other people ought to be a direct connection to my personal holiness. You with me? Holiness that's like, I'm going to keep the rules. I'm going to keep the rules because they're the rules. Well, that's a real humdinger of a person to be a friend with, right? Like, the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Well, I don't don't want your strength (laughs) or your joy. Uh, For every one of you shall revere his mother and father. You shall keep my Sabbaths. I'm the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols and make for yourselves. This is going to sound real familiar to the Ten Commandments. Do not make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it on the day after. Now remember when Marty talked about this a few weeks ago, what he was talking about is the bulk of the sacrifice isn't the bleeding out of the animal. It's that you eat a meal together with the priest. Why? Because the priest is trying to help you understand that, he's, that God's okay with you. God's not beating you up over your mistakes. Uh, if you have anything left over until the third day, it shall be turned, burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It means no matter what kind of an animal you kill, if you eat it, it turns into yak. Ha! That's a joke grenade. I got to throw that one out and wait seven seconds, and then you get it. You're like, yak. 
It will not be accepted, and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, if you read chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, what you'll notice is that the penalty for infraction on personal holiness is you're cut off from the tabernacle until you go make it right. If you blow it in community, you're cut off from your people. Like, you're not allowed to be one of God's chosen people and live like you don't know who your God is. You're not allowed to do it. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so time out. Why do we do this? Because he's God. Now, anytime he says that, he's not trying to be like, and so I'm the boss of you. Right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you're going to do this because this is how I would treat people. So here's what you do. When you're harvesting, don't cut the corners of your field. And if you're carrying a bushel of wheat and some wheat falls on the ground, don't pick it up. Just leave it. Now, here's a question. How big are you supposed to leave your corners? God doesn't say, but what we know is every single person in your community is going to know exactly how generous you are. You with me? We want to hide that. Like, we don't want to talk about, we don't talk about how much I give. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's money. It's awkward. It's hard. I don't want to talk about it. Everybody in their community knew. Like, One of the things that's hard in our world is because we express generosity not through wheat, although the farmers do sometimes. Um, We express generosity through what we give and money, dollars, right? But we don't want to talk about it. And what happens is people who are new in the faith never learn how to be generous. They don't learn it. They don't know. And so they're doing things, maybe even doing a lot of things. And, and they're like, maybe this is generous, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Is this generous? Like I put a, I put a dollar in the offering plate. Is that generous? And God says, give, I gave. Look at me, I'm generous. Like they, we don't know. We don't have any frame of reference for it. Somehow we got to start having that conversation, right? We got to start having that conversation about what does it actually look like? What does it actually look like to be generous? For them, everybody knew. Everybody knew what generous looked like. Understand? So should we in our community. We should not be ashamed of the fact that we're generous. We should not be ashamed of that. What we should be ashamed of, well, we shouldn't be ashamed. What we should be challenged with is when we're not generous. Because that's not how God's people act. Disciplined conviction here. Liberal grace here. Okay, let's read on. You shall not steal. Generally a good principle. It's really hard to say, I serve a loving God, I'm taking your stuff, right? It's hard. Uh, You shall not deal falsely. Discipline truth, right? I'm lying to you. Like, that doesn't work. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, for I'm the Lord. 
You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Here's what it says. If you've got a person that works for you, pay them when they're done for the day. Don't hold it out. I'll get to it. I'll pay you. We'll just, let's just worry about it later. No, they earned it. Pay them. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Now, here's what he's saying. Remember uh, last week, Paul talked about the code of Hammurabi that had this, if, if you disturb the eye of a gentleman, man of the gentleman class, then you have this, but if it's a commoner, then it's this, but if it's a slave, then it's this. What God does is he says, listen, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He levels the playing field. It's not about who the other person is. We treat everyone the same. You don't get special favors. You don't get special favors because you're rich. You also don't get special favors because you're poor. And what we've developed in our culture is this thing called learned helplessness, where people don't want to help themselves anymore. They just want to be dependent on a system that feeds them, and that is equally destructive. If you're rich, you have an obligation to care for other people. If you're poor, get off your booty and work. My, I have teenagers, and it's funny. My kids are like, I, I can't find a job. I've been trying, I'm like, you need to get a job. I can't find, I've been looking. Like, I'm driving down 3rd Street. Subway's got delivery, now hiring. They, they, Safeway's got a sign in the window hiring all these positions. I'm like, I could walk out of here and have three jobs on a Sunday afternoon before dinner. What do you mean you can't work? <laughs> well, I don't want to do, oh, oh, I don't, well, I don't want to be a grocery store clerk. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, oh, Mr. Hoity-toity, this is, grocery store clerk is way too good for you. Uh, you uh, no free rides. But you don't get to sit on, well, I work so I don't have to give. You don't get to do that either. Okay? God's community doesn't function that way. God's community is about helping people and actually helping people. Right? Okay, we got to stop. Uh, we're going to move towards the Lord's Supper. And, and here's what I want to say. If you're new with us, we have what's called an open table at our church. And what that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake, but we want you to hold the elements till the end and we'll take them all together, okay? While we do that, we're gonna work on some implications while they're passing that out. So here's the first implication. The true fruit of living out the mission well is the result of a right heart before God. Merely keeping the rules does not produce the fruit God wants for his people. Now let me tell you a story that has marked me as a kid. You know, I was a preacher's kid, so I grew up in the church. And we used to have these things called fellowship dinners. Remember those? And potlucks, where everybody would bring a dish. And you always wanted to be first in line because you could hammer the taco salad, right? Was, taco salad was good, or the fried chicken that somebody got from the deli, which is what my wife and I do now. We're like, you're going to have a set of potluck, you're going to get a bucket of fried chicken. That's what you're going to do. Because I can cook like that. Um, so we'd have the potluck, and then... Uh, they had these uh, congregational meetings. Remember those? Congregational meetings. And at the congregational meeting, they were all 
uh, downstairs, so the, the sanctuary was on the top floor and the downstairs was the fellowship hall. That's what they called it. It was a basement, but they called it a fellowship hall because everything in a church has to have kind of some kind of spiritual word attached to it. <laughs> so we're up in the sanctuary and we were, me and four or five of my friends, we were 10 or 11, we were playing tag. And it was awesome because the church had those big long pews and we were playing tag and you could, they were anchored to the floor so you could stand on the top of them and run across the top. Don't do it here because these chairs will fall. But uh, you could do it there and it was, you could run. We thought we were just like ninja, you know, we were so cool. Uh, Mrs. Ward came up and yelled at us. Now, here's the thing you need to know. Mrs. Ward was a former pastor's wife. She'd been in the church for 150,000 years. <laughs> they... Uh, determined the age of her church attendance by carbon-14. It was that long. <laughs> and she came up and she said, don't run in the Lord's house. And I looked at her, 10 years old, and I said, you're not my mom. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Which sounds like good for you. But it wasn't, because my real mom took me home and reminded me who my mama was. Because <laughs> it was disrespectful of me to do that. I should not have done that. But here's what I can tell you. It marked me. And when I got into ministry, I vowed that nobody in any church that I was ever a part of would ever be okay yelling at a child for running in church. Like, this is supposed to be a fun place. I don't know if you know this, but you're supposed to enjoy your relationship with God. I love watching kids run through our sanctuary. I have a little friend. Uh, I, I don't even know if I can tell you the story without crying. Uh, this little girl, Lizzie, she came up to me this morning. She'd been in the hospital over the last week, and every week she comes up to me, and she goes, hi. Like, she's so excited. I'm like, gosh, I just want to snuggle with her. She's just cute. She's just cute. And every week she wants to put my microphone on. Every week. So I'm like, okay. You know, it's just a $1,000 bill. No big deal. <laughs> she doesn't know that. She puts it on. She puts on my mic every week. She goes, the same thing. Every single week, same thing. Testing, 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 every single week. It's not on. She's like, testing, every single week, every single week. She's like, can I put it on? Every single week. Like she looks for it. And I'm like, that, that, like, that's what I want. That, because that was Jesus, right? He was, they were trying to keep the kids away from him. And he was like, hey, knock it off. That should, like I could, that should be what it's like for kids to be in church. Not, you should never be like, oh, such a nuisance. <sighs> so loud. Have you walked by the children's ministry, listen to that music? I don't even know if it's worship. <laughs> Watch those kids dance and worship God. Un unbridled right? Because they don't know that they're not supposed to just give everything in worship to God. I hope they never learn that here. Church community should, like, that's the fruit of a disciplined conviction. 
not look at me, I'm living right, and I'm, how could you not, how could you, how could you not see the world the same way I do? Which is what I got growing up in church, because kids were supposed to be seen and not heard. Listen, I don't think we're raising up the next generation unless you hear a few kids. That is evidence that the, of the, that's the fruit of personal holiness. Make sense? Real personal holiness, not just keeping the rules for the sake of keeping the rules. That should matter to us. How we are presenting ourselves to the world should matter. And you can say, I don't care what people think of me, but the problem is, what Paul says is, it's not me who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. So when they see you, they shouldn't see you, they should see Christ living in you. So you should care very much about what people think about you. The fruit of living out the mission well is the result of a right heart before God. Merely keeping the rules does not produce the fruit God wants for his people. Okay, next implication. Being priestly is about having the heart of God. The actions take care of themselves. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. If, like the evidence of a right heart before God, personal holiness, is absolutely displayed in how we conduct ourselves here. Like, do you have the humility to say you were wrong? Oh, that's a hard one, right? That's a hard one. Are you a joy to be around? Or do you brighten the room by leaving it? Right? This room was dark. What happened? Oh, Aaron left finally. Felt like we had to bite him. He was the pastor, but for crying out loud, what a downer. Last implication. The cost of failure is not about making you pay for your mistakes. And I want you to hear me say this. When we fail and there's a negative consequence, it is not because you need to pay for what you did wrong. That is not God's agenda. So it should not be ours either. Now think, think about this parenting. Like parenting alone uh, how we treat our friends, our spouse, our, how we treat bosses, when they blow it, and they will because they're, they're people just like me and I blow it too, when they blow it, are we making them pay or is there some other agenda in the conversation? When you're parenting your kids, does punishment need to happen? Sure, but not because they need to pay for what they did wrong. It's about reminding you of your calling and calling you back to the truth of who God really is and how we should be living. When you do the wrong thing, you don't tell the world a correct story about who God is. And the problem with that is that when people know that you're a Christian and you do the wrong thing, you give people religious baggage. I mean, I don't have time to pull that apart. Think about how many times people who called themselves Christians hurt your feelings and what that did for you in being able to trust other Christian brothers and sisters. Like we, we give people a wrong story about who our God is when we don't do that well. We've got to understand God's not interested in making us pay. He's interested in us being liberal in community with grace. 
disciplined conviction in truth, personally, liberal grace in community. I could, I could tell you a funny story, and then we'll do communion because we're way over time. I don't care. What are you going to do, fire me? Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, we were um, cleaning this house a couple weeks ago uh, for a group of single moms that are going to move into this house together. One of the guys that was helping, he was uh, helping, helping us clean. And he's like, we are redeeming this house. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, I used to party in this house. <laughs> I was like, I love that. I love that we have people who used to party in our church. And now we have a better party, right? We have a better, different kind of party now. Uh, secondly, I love that he felt comfortable enough to tell that to his pastor. I was like, that's a little awkward, but all right, cool. You know, I don't, people don't share that stuff with me very often. I love it. What I also love is that we're a part of a community of people who are determined to redeem dark places. And I love that we have people that take that seriously and that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I love this church. And I hope that we never lose that. That we never lose the reality that what it looks like for us to live out God's grace is about laying our life down like Jesus modeled for us. And that's why we take communion every week as a reminder of what Jesus did. It reminds us that Jesus took bread on the night he was betrayed and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. And in the same way, after the cup, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood. So whenever you eat, drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that extends from sermons that are too long to sins that are wounding of other people. And God, I pray that as we think about what it means to live in a community with one another, that we would be that model of grace. That we would learn to take seriously disciplined conviction in our own life and be people full of grace for the people around us. Thank you, Lord, for your example through Jesus and for all that that means for us. It's his name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like to find out more information about who we are, what we're about, or what's happening in our church, make sure to check out liferotp.com and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter.